Well, good evening, First Norfolk. Thank you for joining with us uh, for our Wednesday night study through the book of Acts. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 17. Uh, just want to remind you while you're turning there that we're in the middle of Vacation Bible School, and it's a wonderful uh, opportunity for you to think and pray for these children, the leaders, uh, and their families. Also, we have Thrive going on, and so continue to pray for our students as well. Uh, tomorrow will be the decision service, a time where the gospel is presented specifically to third, fourth, and fifth graders. Pray that God would draw to himself those whom he has prepared and has called to become followers of Jesus, and pray that we can rejoice over that on Sunday. Again, it's a privilege for us to gather together to worship the Lord, uh, to open his word, and to learn from him. Tonight in Acts chapter 17, we're going to follow the Apostle Paul as he makes his journey along with his missionary team uh, from Thessalonica to Derby and into Athens. And really, we're going to look at a hallmark passage when it comes to sharing the gospel. But as we, as you, as, as we begin to think about that, I want you to think in terms of uh, sports teams in the history of your watching sports that have seemed unstoppable. Uh, certainly, the UCLA uh, basketball team coached by John Wooden seemed unstoppable. Or the Chicago Bulls, uh, led by Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, seemed unstoppable at times. Uh, or it could be the Dallas Cowboys, led by Roger Staubach, coached by uh, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Landry, they seemed unstoppable until they faced uh, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. But these teams seemed unstoppable. Right now in Copa America, we have an Argentina team uh, that uh, has seemed unstoppable over the course of its run. And so we're looking at different teams that seemed unstoppable. Can I tell you that more important than any sports team, and, and certainly all of those teams have been and will be defeated uh, over a period of time. Uh, the church, however, is unstoppable. And what we learn tonight in Acts chapter 17 is that when the church fulfills her calling, and that's telling other people who Jesus is. When the church is focused on fulfilling her calling, then we, the church, will turn our community and the world upside down. We hear this recorded in, in verse 6 of Acts chapter 17. Here in Thessalonica, Paul has entered the synagogue. He's preached, and, and then he's uh, shared the gospel. It's influenced the entire city of Thessalonica. And so jealous uh, uh, religionists got uh, uh, envious of what Paul was doing, and, and they uh, stirred up a mob to go after Paul and his missionary team. And, and so they, they yell at Paul and his team. Uh, verse 6, it says, But when they did not find Paul and his missionary team, they dragged Jason, who was part of the church, uh, and some brethren to the rulers of the city. And they cried out, These, talking about the church, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Uh, they literally saw the gospel transforming the world. Uh, you and I understand that the church has a mission to fulfill, and our church fulfills our calling when we press forward with the gospel and turn the world upside down with this good news of rescuing love that God provides through faith in Jesus Christ. So I want us to take some time uh, examining this uh, encounter between the church 
and the world uh, in Thessalonica, a little bit in Derby, and then more specifically in Athens. What we discover is when the church fulfills her calling, we turn the world upside down uh, because, number one, God's glorious work, victorious work, is literally unstoppable. We've seen this throughout the record of the church's encounters with people who are far from God. When Lydia heard the gospel, God opened her heart to receive the good news and he transformed her life by his grace. We saw it again with the Philippian jailer and the people in Thessalonica were transformed by God's unstoppable grace. In a few moments, we'll see in Berea, uh, that the people searched the scriptures to, to, uh, to ascertain whether what Paul told them was true, and many came to faith in Christ. The gospel is unstoppable, and when the church focuses on the gospel, the church is unstoppable. This is what Jesus promised. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter stood up and he said, you are the Christ, uh, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, for those living in Thessalonica, it seemed that this movement of God's glorious work was literally turning everything on its head. Uh, and, and it was turning it on its head because Paul was sharing the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 2, it says that Paul went to the synagogue and reasoned with them from the scriptures. Verse 3, he explained and he demonstrated that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And he said to them, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And many were persuaded as Paul proclaimed the gospel to the hearers in the synagogue, um, uh, many believed. He reasoned with them. He explained and exhorted and applied everything, pointing Scripture to Jesus as, as Paul was wont to do. All of Scripture points to Jesus Christ, his coming, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his exaltation, and his coming again. And so as we, the church, focus our attention on Jesus Christ and the message of hope, the gospel that he has given us to proclaim, as we tell people who Jesus is, make no mistake, we are working an unstoppable, walking an unstoppable path. Today, we live in a time that is um, uh, challenging when it comes to the idea that God sent his son to die for sinners uh, on a cross, to be raised from the dead and give new life uh, to those who by faith trust him. Now, we make that as an exclusive claim. There is no other by, under heaven by whose name anyone can be rescued. There's no way that any person can enter into God's family except through faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith demands a repentance, a turning away from our sin and turning toward Jesus as our only hope, as the Lord of our everyday life. And that 
runs counter to what many people in our society and our culture, uh, they they don't want to hear all that. We live in, in many ways, a pre-Christian culture where people are more attuned uh, to belief systems and creating a smorgasbord of belief based upon everything that they're reading on uh, uh, Twitter or Instagram or uh, the internet or uh, books they read. They take all these different ideas, they mash them together and they say, this is what I believe. But what we see Paul doing in the midst of a setting just like that in the ancient Near East, Paul would go and he would make this exclusive claim about Jesus Christ. Now, friends, this is what we must do. And certainly it seems like the claim itself is just one among many, but we need to understand that the gospel is the power of God to save Jews and Gentiles, people far from God and people further from God. The gospel itself is God's power to rescue sinners. And when we commit ourselves to proclaim the gospel, then God in his great grace works through the church and his work is unstoppable. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the very first conviction we need to have as we look at this passage is the same conviction that Paul had when he preached in Thessalonica, later when he went to Derby and he preached the gospel there, uh, and then when he stood before the philosophers in Athens, he proclaimed the absolute truth of God found in the message of hope given to us by Jesus Christ. That is our mandate. We are here to tell people who Jesus is. And we do it because God tells us to, but we also do it with a great confidence that the gospel wins. The second thing we see in this passage is that, uh, that uh, uh, we need to understand the world in which we live. You know, we live in a time much like Athens or Thessalonica or Derby. Uh, this is a world filled uh, w- with uh, uh, the, the worship of gods. You go to uh, Acts chapter 17, uh, and beginning of verse 16, you see that Paul addresses people who were worshiping even an unknown God. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 16. It says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols, overrun by idols. Now, lots of different belief systems mashed up together. That's the kind of world in which we live today. And even though it's not uh, the philosophers gathering at Mars Hill, today it's people gathering together around the internet, Googling uh, uh, requests about how to find meaning in life, and they find an answer as they punch a little hyperlink and they go to a different site and they see somebody's answer and they say, that sounds neat to me. And so they add that to their repertoire and they begin to mash up all these different ideas and idols uh, to give meaning and purpose to their life. Uh, the way, the, the realm, the world in which we live today is very similar to the world in which Paul preached. And even though we think that today is worse than it's ever been before sometimes, as in our Christian culture, we think everything's worse than it's ever been, please understand that the environment in which we 
um, fulfill our calling is the same kind of environment in which Paul and the first church fulfilled their calling. The, the, the names and the ideas may be different, but the plethora of, of, uh, of a buffet uh, of ideas continues. And so we need to go with the absolute confidence that the gospel is absolute truth. All these other ideas, they're just uh, best guesses at what, to, what, what we can find to give meaning and purpose in life. But the gospel itself, the good news that I am a sinner separated from God, my deepest need is relationship with him. And the only way that I can enter into a relationship with the one and true living God is through faith in Jesus Christ. His death on the cross has paid Payment for my sin is resurrection from the dead to give me a new life. When I give my all to Jesus, then he takes me into God's family and my soul is satisfied by him. Now, when we understand our world, we understand that that message seems weak. It doesn't hold any power. It's all about submission and obedience and surrender to, to, to God himself. But what we understand about our community in light of Scripture is that is exactly what people need to find hope and wholeness in life. It's not through, uh, I did it my way kind of uh, 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 him about life. It's not through me exalting myself, finding the greatest measure of power so that I can make others succumb to my will. It's not in all the pleasures that I might seek. It's not in some Scooby snack that I think is going to give me strength. What we need is Jesus. And that's why we tell people who Jesus is, because even in the world in which we live today, overrun by its multitudes of idols, the gospel is the power to save. And so we set our hopes and our heart on the gospel. And when we proclaim the gospel, the world is turned upside down. Um, so as we look at this passage, we see first that, that uh, God's glorious work is unstoppable when we proclaim the gospel. We see secondly that we need to understand the world in which we live. Uh, but third, we need to also have compassion for people in our world. When was the last time you had a heart beating with compassion for those who are far from God, for those who are searching for life's answers in the multitude of idols well, that's what happened to Paul. Look again in verse 16 and 17. Now, when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So Paul was, was provoked. That term in the Greek means uh, almost a, a nauseous kind of feeling. Uh, was sick to your stomach, and it, it was a revulsion not against the people, but against the idols that were leading people astray. Like Jesus had compassion on the multitudes as he looked out on them, at, and he saw them wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. Paul looked upon the people of Athens and, and, and Thessalonica and Derby, and he said, these are people who are searching for hope, but they're looking in the wrong place. The only thing an idol can provide is, uh, uh, is uh, just an emptiness because it has no power to heal the soul. 
And so Paul, filled with this sense of compassion, began to proclaim to them the message of hope. He reasoned with them. And again, that, that term reason we find in, in, throughout Acts 17 and again in Acts 18 and 19, Paul would go and he would reason. It wasn't yell, it wasn't scream, it wasn't argue, it wasn't debate. It was, I'm going to reason with you. I'm going to try to help you see how that Jesus is the only answer. Now, we need to do a good job of reasoning. What we tend to do is divide people in us versus them. And the them are the enemy. And so we're going to yell at them. We're going to scream at them. We're going to go to war against them. But the reality is it's not us versus them. It's saved versus those who need to be saved. It's, it's, it's people like we were before we came to faith in Christ. Uh, desperate for hope, looking for answers. And we need to have compassion on people, even though those who are holding to different kind of ideologies or worship or, or uh, 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 treasures that they hold close to their heart that are contrary to the will of God, rather than uh, uh, looking upon them as people who are the enemy, we look upon them as people who need Jesus. We need to have compassion upon them. Uh, and so in Athens, Paul saw the multitude of idols and he was, uh, uh, he was spurred in his spirit to be even more intent in sharing the good news. And the sermon he preached at, at Mars Hill sets a paradigm for us to share the gospel with people in, in our uh, community, in our world. As we look at this passage, remember that Paul, at this point, now Paul in, in Thessalonica, he was preaching to everyday Joe. When he came to Derby, they were more fair-minded kind of folk. And now in, in uh, Athens, he's preaching to people who are the elite philosophers of his day. At each turn, Paul had one common theme, Jesus saved by grace through faith in Jesus, okay? But his message was tuned to the hearts of his hearer. And so when he was in the synagogue at Thessalonica and Derby, he used scripture to reason. Now in Acts chapter 17, beginning verse 16, as Paul begins to preach to the elite philosophers of his day, he reasoned with them using not scripture, but philosophy and poetry. It's an amazing journey that Paul takes and the skill with which he was able to communicate the good news of God's rescuing love. Uh, when, when we have compassion on people in our world, when we uh, understand that the good work of God's grace through the gospel is unstoppable, when we understand the world in which we live, then we can, uh, number four, recognize the spiritual search that people are on. The people in Athens were searching for the answer to their life's problems. That's what a philosopher does. And, and they're similar to people in our day. Uh, rather than attacking various idols in the place before him, Paul begins with an acknowledgement of their religious pursuit. Uh, his, his words were not necessarily complimentary, but they were definitely not condemnatory. Uh, look at verse 22. Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through 
and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So as Paul is preaching, he, he recognizes that the people are on a spiritual search. And that spiritual search was leading them down a pathway uh, to despair. That spiritual search was unfulfilled because they were looking in the wrong places. So Paul stood before the uh, philosophers and he said, I perceive that you're searching, that you're looking for life's answers. Now today, as you and I are walking among the people in our office or at our school or in our community, our neighborhood, uh, we need to understand that they're on a spiritual search. Uh, They're looking for an answer to their life's problems and needs. The good news is that we have that answer and is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So Paul uh, begins by pointing them to an altar there before him, to the unknown God. Now, here's the picture at Areopagus. Paul, uh, the, the philosophers, had all these different idols around, but in case they missed an idol, they erected an altar to an unknown God. The one that they hadn't found yet. All these other ones, they're there. All the other ones had failed to satisfy. Now they're looking for uh, this unknown, unknowable kind of God. And so that leads us to the fifth point, and that is to find common ground. Now, the common ground that Paul found with the philosophers at Athens and with the people with whom he talked was not just their spiritual search, but their search for the answer with an unknown God. He said, here's an altar, and I'm going to tell you who this unknown God is. He's unknown, but he's not unknowable. You can know this God. Uh, When we encounter people, especially those who are uh, feasting at the banquet table of all kinds of pluralities and multitudes of ideas, those who have embraced different ideologies uh, that are leading them nowhere, when we encounter them, our goal is to communicate with them the good news of Jesus Christ. But that means we need to begin with some common ground. We need to stand on the common ground that is provided in the person of Jesus Christ. But that common ground uh, may be a song that you heard or a song that's on their playlist. Maybe it's a book that they're reading uh, uh, or, or, or a podcast that they're listening to. You, uh, you uh, uh, pay attention to where they are in their journey. And so if they're listening to a song that gives the soulful sounds of sorrow, then, then you can speak to the need of hope in the midst of of that sorrow, or if they're reading a book on uh, how to win and influence friends, uh, then you can speak to them about our need for friendship that, that, uh, that only God can answer. There are a multitude of different common grounds that we find. And we begin with that common ground uh, that, that the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see. Paul saw the common ground an altar to an unknown God. Uh, once we find the common ground, the next step is to point them to the one true living God. Number six, we point people to the one true living God. Now, here's where we need to take a moment and pause. Are we literally telling people about the one true God? I know we invite people to church, and I encourage you to do that. That's a good thing. But, but when we're relating to people, and, and it's our heart's desire to fulfill the calling of the church by me sharing with 
someone far from God the good news and telling them who Jesus is, we've got to take personal responsibility to tell them who God is. Uh, Paul seeks to bring uh, the philosophers there at Athens to a proper understanding of God. The second part of verse 22, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing the unknown God, him I proclaim to you again, uh, proclaim to you. Verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made by human hands. Nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwelling so that they should seek the Lord, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So, and verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Now, what Paul does is he takes them on a journey from creation. Usually, when we uh, hear Paul speak, he spe- in the synagogue, he, he takes them straight to Scripture, and he proves or reasons through Scripture how that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that they've waited for to answer their heart's dilemma. But just as he did at Antioch Pisidia in Acts chapter 13, so he does here. He takes the, the, the hearers, those who are not from a Jewish background, all the way back to creation. The one true living God made heaven and earth and all that is in them. He doesn't need anything from humanity. He doesn't need gifts laid at the feet of different uh, 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 altars. What he needs is found in himself fully and completely. And yet this God who created all things, who needs nothing from us, has made himself available to those, you and me, who he has created. And it is through and only through him that we live and breathe and find essence and substance for our soul. It is only through him that we are satisfied in life. So the question then comes, how do we get to that God, the one true living God? We need to talk to people about the only hope, and that is found in a relationship with God, being part of God's family. So when we point people to God, we're pointing them to the ultimate of life, and that's That's what people are searching for. They're looking for the ultimate of life. And we point them to the ultimate of life when we point them to God. The very final step that we see in Acts 17 is we invite them to Jesus. We invite them to come to Jesus and experience life through faith in him. Uh, You look down in verse 30 and 31. Paul says, truly, These times of ignorance God overlooked. He's talking about the ignorance of people around him. Uh, But now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, that's Jesus, whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Jesus from the dead. Paul concludes his message with this uh, clear 
declaration that Jesus is the way to enter into God's family. Jesus is the only way to enter into God's family. We don't enter into God's family by practicing a new set of religious ideals. No, we come into God's family through faith in Jesus. Jesus is the one who died for sinners. Jesus is the one who was raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is proof that Jesus and Jesus alone is the answer to the world's problem today. When we invite people to come to Jesus through repentance and through faith, we're inviting them to a transformation of life. Uh, one where the emptiness is satisfied with the presence of God. So today, I want to challenge you to see how that the church in, in, in the first century literally turned the world upside down. They went hand in hand with the Spirit of God into their world, which they understood, having compassion for the people that were around them and those who were far from God. And they proclaimed that God in His great purpose and plan had sent Jesus to rescue sinners from the penalty and the, and the guilt and the stain of their sin. And Jesus died for sinners upon a cross. He was raised from the dead to give new life. So today I invite you, I implore you, join First Norfolk on this journey to turn our world upside down. Let's fulfill our calling and let's tell people who Jesus is. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he bless your coming in, may he bless your going out, and may he fill your life with purpose as you proclaim Jesus to others. God bless you, and good night.